was Martin Luther came across a Greek New Testament. He read the words, the just shall live by faith. And as he struggled with his own sin, he struggled with his own guilt before the holiness of God, he realized that nothing that he could do, no amount of confession, no amount of good deeds, no amount of good works, whatever cleanse him from the guilt of sin. He came to the realize, realization that the just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in what Jesus had already accomplished. In the cross of Christ. If you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to open up to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. We're going to read one verse, verse 14. <clears throat> Paul makes the statement, the conclusion of his letter to the Galatians. And the whole theme of the book of Galatians is the just shall live by faith. We are justified by our faith in what Jesus had done. We are cleansed, we are made right by what Jesus has done. He said this in verse 14. Paul said, May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray. God, may this morning, may we see the centrality of the cross. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. You realize that the cross is the central figure, the central symbol, the central point in time for all of human history? Whenever we study history in our, in our history books, in our history classes, there is a B.C. and A.D. Or in today's society, there is a B.C.E. and a C.E. Before the common era and after the common era. But even if you call it a common era or you call it before Christ, it is still centered around one particular figure, and that's the person of Jesus. And not only is Jesus important in the realm of history, but the world is centered, everything, all of human history is centered around Christ. And the reason it's centered around Christ is because of one event, His death upon the cross and His resurrection from the grave. C.J. Mahaney said this, he said, The cross is not one class in Christianity, but it is the building where all of the classes are held. Everything that has anything to do with Christianity must be seen through the lens of the cross. Everything. Paul begins, or concludes the book of Galatians, and he says, I boast, I brag, I, I exalt this one thing, the cross. 
Now, who was Paul? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was someone who kept the law to the letter. He was someone who could boast about his, his ethnic heritage. He was someone who was from the tribe of Benjamin who could say, I am a descendant of Abraham, and yet I am not boasting in my ethnicity. I'm not boasting in my heritage. I'm not boasting in my ability to keep the law. I'm not boasting in the fact that I can quote from memory the entire Pentateuch. I'm not boasting from from anything that I can do, but I boast in the cross. Why would Paul boast in an instrument of torture? That would be like you and I saying, I boast in the electric chair, or I boast in lethal injection. It doesn't make any sense. Paul said, I boast, I brag, I exalt this instrument of torture. Why would Paul exalt? Why would Paul brag about? Why would Paul boast about this instrument of torture, because it is the centerpiece of all of human history. Do you realize that every, every event, every story, everything in the Old Testament points to the cross? Everything. Let's go back and let's look at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are created in the garden. And God creates Adam and Eve. And sin enters the world. And God shows up in the Garden of Eden to pronounce judgment and wrath. And there in the Garden of Eden, as God pronounces the curse upon mankind, we see the cross of Christ. Because as He's pronouncing the curse, God says this. He said, Satan... You will be cursed. And then he says to Eve and Adam, you will be cursed. And he looks at the woman and he says, the seed from woman will crush the head of the serpent. Looking forward to the cross. As God walks in the Garden of Eden and he sees Adam and Eve who have transgressed God's law, who have, who have fallen, who have committed sin, The very first thing that God does is He clothes them with animal skins. How does He get animal skins? You can't take skin off of an animal while it's alive. God kills the animal. A foreshadowing of the cross. There's bloodshed to cover the sin of man. The cross. As Adam and Eve have children, we see the cross through Cain and Abel. Cain brings an offering. The first fruits of all of his labor, but Abel brings a more perfect offering, a blood sacrifice. And the scripture tells us that God was pleased with the sacrifice of Abel and not the sacrifice of Cain. Why? Because Abel brought a blood sacrifice, pointing us to the cross of Christ. As God makes the first covenant with His chosen people, Abraham. We see God confirming that covenant through sacrifice. He tells Abraham, bring these animals and sacrifice them and separate them in two. And as God seals the covenant, He does so through a sacrifice, through blood, through the shed blood, the covenant is sealed, pointing us to the cross of Christ. As Abraham is promised a son, and God delivers him a son, Isaac. Then God tells Abraham to take Isaac up on top of the mountain and to kill his only son, pointing us to the cross of Christ, where God would take 
his offspring, his only son, blood of his own blood, and God would shed that blood upon the cross. And as Isaac carries his own wood for the altar upon the cross, he looks at Abraham and he says, Father, I see the fire for the altar, I see the wood for the altar, but where is the lamb? And Abraham makes this beautiful statement on the cross. He said, God will provide a lamb. We see Joseph sold for 30 pieces of silver by his brothers, much like Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. We see Moses and the entire sacrificial system. As Moses leads the people out of Egypt, the very last plague in Egypt was the death angel. When God would pass through all of Egypt and because of of judgment and wrath that was poured out upon the Egyptian people, God said, I will kill all of the firstborn except those for whom the blood of the Lamb is over the doorpost. And those from whom the blood of the Lamb is over the doorpost, I will pass over and death will not enter that household. It's a beautiful foreshadowing of the blood of the Lamb that provides for us deliverance from death. Deliverance from certain destruction. From the beginning of time, Jesus was God's plan. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? When God created the world, He wasn't taken aback when Adam and Eve sinned. He wasn't surprised when Satan, being filled with pride, was kicked out of heaven. He wasn't surprised to find Adam and Eve hiding, covered in fig leaves. God is sovereign. He is all-knowing. He sees the beginning of time simultaneously with the end of time. Because God is outside of time. Nothing takes God by surprise. God didn't walk in the Garden of Eden one day and say, Oh no, Adam and Eve is messed up. I need to figure out a way to fix this. I got it. We'll set up a whole sacrificial system and that'll take care of things. And then, and then thousands and thousands of years later say, You know, this whole sacrificial thing's not working. We need to do something differently. I got it. I need somebody to go and be an offering. And Jesus said, I'll do it. That's not what happened. The scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it tells us that Jesus was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the earth. That before the foundation of the earth, before God ever spoke the worlds into existence, before God ever hung the stars on nothing, before God created, that Jesus was the lamb that was already slain. In Revelation chapter 5, John sees the lamb on the throne. And the scripture tells us he sees him as a lamb who was already slain. Because Jesus, the cross, was God's eternal purpose before the world ever began. 
This tells us that Jesus had full knowledge of God's eternal purpose from the very beginning. But as Jesus is sitting at 12 years old in the temple, teaching, he knows, in a few years I'm going to return to this temple. And I'm going to be crucified just outside this city. That when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, that he knew full well that he would not leave Jerusalem. And what's even more compelling is not that Jesus was aware, but that Jesus went willingly, motivated by love and grace. Not that this was his fate and there was nothing he could do, to avoid it. But John chapter 10 tells us that Jesus, in addressing the disciples, in addressing the Pharisees, he said this. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I willingly lay it down. I want to point out a couple of things to you as we look at the understanding of Jesus. John chapter 2. We looked at this passage last Sunday. I want us to look at it again. John chapter 2, verse 4. Jesus is in the wedding with his mother. And as Jesus is at a wedding with his mother, on the third day there was a wedding in Canaan of Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited, his disciples, to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus came to him and said, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. Jesus is at a wedding enjoying himself, enjoying the festivities of the wedding, and what's on his mind? The cross. This is years before Jesus would travel to Jerusalem. Years before he would be betrayed by Judas. Years before he would stand trial before Annas and Caiaphas and Herod. Years before he would hang upon a cross. And Jesus is at a wedding with his disciples, with his family, with his friends, enjoying the festivities and what's on his mind. The cross. The cross. He said, my hour has not yet come. He understood full well that there was an hour that was coming when he would be exalted. He understands full well that there was an hour that was coming where the sin of the world would be placed upon him. John chapter 1 verse 29, John saw Jesus coming down the hill and looked at him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus knew, John knew, the disciples knew that Jesus was the Lamb of God. That he, Jesus had told his disciples that the, that the Son must suffer, the Son must die. He was well aware that his hour was coming. And what that hour meant, that he would suffer and die. John chapter 7, later on in Jesus' ministry, he's at the Feast of the Tabernacles. And as he is at the Feast of the Tabernacles, he's enjoying the festivities of the feast. 
yet what is on his mind. Look at verse 30. They were seeking, therefore, to seize him. Yet they were not able to. No no man laid his hands upon him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. He's at the festivities. He's teaching. He upsets the wrong people. They seek to arrest him. Possibly to kill him. Yet, he understood. The father understood. His hour had not yet come. What hour was that? The cross. John chapter 8, verse 20, we see the same sentiment. These words he spoke to the tre- in the treasury, and he taught them in the temple, and no one seized him. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. From the beginning of time, the cross was God's eternal plan. And from the beginning of time, Jesus understood the cross was the eternal plan. And Jesus begins teaching. And he teaches his disciples that I am coming as a king. And his disciples heard conquering, victorious king. Yet Jesus constantly told them, I'm coming as a suffering servant. Not as a victorious king, but as a suffering servant. He told his disciples, he said, it is necessary that the Son of Man suffer and die. He told the crowd, this temple must be destroyed and I will rebuild it three days later. He quoted from Psalm 118 and he said, the stone which the builders rejected, that which is rejected, that which is destroyed, will become the chief cornerstone. All throughout Jesus' teaching, it's not veiled. It's not hidden. He is very blatant. He is very upfront that I must suffer. I must die. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asked the disciples a very pointed question. So who do men say that I am? They said, some of you say that you're John the Baptist. Some of them say that you're Elijah. Some of them say you're another prophet. Jesus asked Peter, so who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus looked at him and said, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And you are a rock, but upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And then just after that, Jesus said, and the Son of Man, this Christ, must suffer and die for the payment of sin. And Peter said, may it never be. I will never allow you to suffer and die. Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He told the disciples time and time again, I must die. I will be exalted, but my exaltation will not be as a ruler. My exaltation will be as a suffering servant. The exaltation that Jesus spoke of time and time again, was not as a king, but as a sacrifice. Let's go back to Paul's statement in Galatians. Why on earth would Paul glory in the cross? Paul had spent his entire life 
trying to earn the favor of a holy God. Only to find himself frustrated. Only to find himself empty. Striving against the wind. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, he says, I boast in nothing but the cross of our Lord Jesus. Why was Paul boasting in the cross? Because Paul, in his own efforts to boast in the cross, was unable, in his own efforts to gain his own righteousness, to achieve his own reconciliation, Paul was unable to do so. And so Paul understood that God was reconciling sinful men to himself. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Paul understood that he could not reconcile. He could not take sinful man and holy God and bring them together through his actions. He tried. He was a Pharisee and a good one. He was a persecutor of the enemies of God in his mind. He was a zealot. He was zealous for the righteousness and the holiness of God, and he could not achieve the righteous requirement of the law. And Romans chapter 5, verse 10, I want us to see this. For if while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Paul being an enemy, was reconciled to God. By whom? By Christ. The cross was God's plan from the beginning. It was God's initiative. And God brought it to completion. Our only participation at the cross, the only thing we bring to the cross, is the sin. God brought the grace. He brought the love. He brought the substitute. He brought the wrath. He brought the satisfaction. He brought the righteousness. We brought the sin. As we contemplate the cross today, may we be awed May we be blown away by the reality that from the very beginning of time, God intended to save your soul by sending Jesus to the cross. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that before the foundation of the world was laid, you had already paid for our sin. We thank you that while we were enemies, you had already satisfied the full righteous requirement of your law in Jesus. God, we thank you that no sin 
past, present, or future will ever separate me from the love that is in Christ. And as we meditate on the cross, may we be reminded of your amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.